title this episode, but I will have Riley. Yo. Who lives near? Yeah. Okay. Want to make sure my mic didn't like bail on me because I have my headphones plugged in. For sure. Let me make sure this is set where it needs to be. Uh, sure. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Let me see. Chris from Badlands Pediculture wants to hop in too. So. What's been going on, dude? I'm just getting ready for uh, the Anaheim show right now. Um, just making sure this, everything this weekend. Yeah, yeah, making sure everything's all fresh watered and clean before I go. Going to do a little bit of feeding later tonight. Feed some of the uh, the colubrids and um, a couple of the younger boas and get something into them and. Yeah, got to bring some carpets to uh, to Anaheim, and then I'm bringing a crested gecko for Brian and an Amazon tree boa for a gentleman by the name of Andy Gabs. But I'm not sure if he knows that he's getting it yet. But that's cool. Yeah, but you're it's not you're not like full blown vending. Like, are you have someone else selling them for you while you're there? Or yeah. Yeah, I mean the the Amazon's already paid for. Um, Forrest picked that up for a buddy, and uh, but I'm gonna be helping out at Brian's booth. Uh, Brian Cusco, he does a lot of interviews and filming when he does these shows. And, oh uh, yeah, yeah. His, his ideal setup involves having like one camera direct on uh, the middle of the table, getting both you know the whole table and the guests and everything, and and then a. Uh, like a macro um, <clears throat> lens off to the side as well. So that when his guests bring animals, he can like get good yeah. macro shots and B-roll. And it's easier to have somebody doing that at the same time. So then they don't have to like do it afterwards and makes interviews much faster. And then I'm also, also ultimately just making sure like all the levels are where they need to be. The lights are set the way they need to be. Everything's kind of set in between each uh uh interview and it just ends up being much smoother when he's got a second set of hands so yeah so i mean even then you're not really vending you're more like your your camera crew kind of yeah and then set hands yeah and in between like (laughs) interviews we just hang out you know and like people come up to the table and brian sets up snakes on the table and um i'll have those jungles on the table because he's got you know, space to fill in his displays. So, um, but yeah, otherwise it's just kind of hanging out for the most part. He'll have, you know, t-shirts and his merchandise and stuff available to sell. So, but yeah, it's pretty low key. 
Yeah, he must have a ton of like booth space to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, we usually end up having to grab a like a full corner or like a double and set up with like because we set up the big banner in the background, which is like you know twelve feet wide, mm-hmm. um, and then a table, stools, lights, two or three cameras, and then the table with the snakes on it behind it. So it's a lot plus the whole side entrance, and then everything gets stored under the table and. Usually it's like a whole family thing where his parents will come out to and his wife and kids will show up to. And so it ends up being a whole fun thing. That's a crazy long trip for them, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, so it'll probably be like a six and a half, seven hour drive. Anaheim's a little bit further than, uh, Pomona for me. So, uh, but coming from Sacramento, I can take 99 straight down for most mm-hmm. of it. Um, and so that's a little bit more helpful cause it gives me a direct shot into, into like the whole LA area without dealing with a bunch of crossover badness. So, but yeah, it'll still be, you know, probably seven hours of driving best case scenario. So this time I gave myself an extra travel day to get home. Cause normally I just push it and get it back and work the next day. And it's always not a good idea. Yeah. So, that always sucks. Like I want a day to kind of regroup, you know, sort of. Yeah. Well, and when you get home at like Jeez. three in the morning, that too, yeah, kind of ease back into the days, you know. Yeah, even when I was in Santa Barbara and I was working with the shop down there, I was doing tons of shows all the time, and I was used to getting home at like two, three, sometimes four in the morning from the further shows, and then you know unpacking animals, going to bed, waking up an hour and a half later, and going to work. So it's not pleasant, but. I'm getting too old to do that now, so I gave myself an extra day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jake Jake does that kind of stuff way more than I do, you know, like driving up to Northeast Carpet Fest and stuff. I'm like, have fun with that, dude. Like, That's hard. Know. It's hard to drive that long, one shot by yourself. Yeah, I'm not into it. I'm just too old. Yeah. <clears throat> too old for that crap. Yup, that's too much. I hear that. <clears throat> but Southeast Carpet Fest is all, like literally like a month away. <clears throat> I know that's gonna oh, be on us before we even realize it. I'm so freaking pumped, dude. I'm so ready. Yeah, it's gonna be a big affair. And it's at Cody and Pia's place again, right? It is. Nice. Which uh, I just their their property, you know, they they their neighbors don't really care. There's enough space between them and their neighbors. They've got they've just got the the, pe- the best spot for it. You know, it's not somebody. Yeah. It's not like Burke where you have neighbors like right there. Like his neighbors are literally like hundred yards on each side. <laughs> uh, you know, That's so tight. it can yeah. get a little rowdy. His neighbors don't really care. It seems like it sounds like he. They hang out with their with their neighbors on a pretty regular basis. So oh, nice. Uh, that'll be a blast. Yeah, I mean, last year it was last year it was big, but I think this year it's gonna be it's gonna be better. It's gonna be bigger. That'll be sick. But I can't wait. I mean, I don't really ask for time off all that much. So yeah, it's like your one hurrah. I have to. I kind of yeah. I mean, I gotta between this and Daytona and then I know Katie wants to 
go take some trips at some point, hopefully this year. Um, you know, just got to pick and choose my battles. Yeah. Time off. Yeah. You can't, you can't make every event every, every year do it all. Yeah. But you can sort of, as, as these events become more consistent and uh, widespread, you can sort of plan nicely. And, uh, and then that way you don't have to worry about like first of the year, figuring out what you're going to budget your, uh, your time off hours for or anything like that. Well, that's the nice thing about SECF two is uh, like you can camp out. You could save yourself yeah. a bunch of money on um, hotels and stuff. And yeah, it's nice. Like a lot of people are like, I don't want to camp out. I'm like, I'll camp out if it means I'm saving two hundred bucks that Heck I can yeah. spend on yeah. you know auction stuff. Like, <laughs> dude, camping is fun. <laughs> Years ago. Uh, when one of the first, it might have been the third uh, carpet fest we did at, at Travis's house, uh, um, the Southwest Carpet Fest, mm -hmm. uh, I brought a tent and an air mattress and slept outside, uh, and it was great. I just wandered on outside, plopped down on the mattress, and both mornings I woke up and my air mattress was uh, deflated, and I was on the ground <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> It was, uh, it was still a good time, though. Man, a, an air mattress that stays lit all night is worth its weight in gold. <laughs> yeah. Because those things, good. they're rare. That's a rare find. Yeah, they're just so fragile, no matter what they're made of or how they're changed and innovated. Inevitably, they get like a little hole or a seam peels or something. And Yeah. Chris is having some issues. But uh, how's the uh, the first issue of the podcast or edition issue? Jesus, uh, first episode <laughs> of the podcast is is out now. Yeah, it, uh, it became uh, out and available and official and live at six a.m. our time, so nine a.m. on the East Coast, and it's doing well. It's already got like fifty plus downloads, and people are checking nice. it out. And I had uh, an old manager hit me up and you know compliment it and. Um, yeah, I think so far it's being well received, which is kind of what I expected. As long as you don't duff it, um, there's so much room for more, you know, digestible content like that passive content. So, um, the only way it wouldn't be well received is if you put out like a really crappy product, right? So if we just sucked, then people would probably like not listen to it. Um, uh, but so far it seems to... You know, people seem to enjoy it, so it's exciting to get this feedback we're getting. So, when's the second? Uh, I almost said issue again. When's the second episode? Uh, we've Don't got it scheduled for uh, January fifteenth, and we're gonna try and stick to like an every other Wednesday schedule, and mm -hmm. uh, that way it's it's two a month. But uh, ironically, the way it starts out is there will be three in in January, uh, just because of the way the calendar works out. So. Um, but yeah, so we've already recorded episode two. It's just a matter of <clears throat> finalizing it and getting it up there. I'm anxious to, to hear it, man. Thanks. I really, yeah, I really enjoyed the, the first one. I mean, I, I, like, I hate that I don't get to listen. Well, I don't, 
I don't, not that I don't get to listen to them. I just, it's rare that I have the time to be able to list like, cause when I want to listen to another podcast, like I want to be able to sit down and give it my, a big chunk of my focus so I can actually pay attention to what they're saying instead of just having it on in the background. Sure. <clears throat> and it's rare that I have Excuse me. two hours to be able to just sit back. Cause I, I usually listen to them when I'm at work. Like first thing when I open up shop. Yeah. But then people start coming in and then people start hanging out and then it's like, all right, now I got to turn on golf or football or something. <laughs> yep. And then I, you know, if it dies down again, like today was, would have been the perfect day. Cause it was, I don't even know why we opened today. It was so slow. I had four customers in like five hours. So yeah. Got some auction graphics done, but it's just, you know, my commute isn't very far. Like I work probably not even 15 minutes from my house. Um, oh, nice. You know, so it's not like I'm, I got a long drive to listen to stuff. It's just, yeah, I got, I don't have that. I don't have that either. Chunks. Yeah. I can walk to work. So it's, uh, really? Yeah. I mean, it would take me less than 10 minutes to get to work if I just walked. That's crazy. Uh, At the zoo. It, yeah. My drive is like two minutes. Wow. It's like a couple blocks away. I didn't um, once, yeah, once the rain and, and bad weather's over, I'm going to refill the air in my tires and, and just get back <laughs> on my bike to work. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous how much I save, but, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, podcast listening is done in the snake room during cleaning yeah. or, you know, just like in the evening, if, if Rachel's, you know, doing something else or she's catching up on shows or she's out of town, I'll, I'll put them on. But, um, if I listen to them at work, it just runs my battery dead on my phone at work. So mm -hmm. I don't do that too much. And yeah, so it's, uh, it's nice having tons of options. Um, but then I get worried. I'm like falling behind and staying up with some, like, there's so many of them now. So. Yeah, and you know, there's everyone always talks about like, oh man, did you listen to this week's issue? Uh, I keep saying issue has been such a large word in my vocabulary the last like two months. Yeah. <laughs> um, each episode, like you know, you catch the new NPR episode, and it's like, no, I didn't. You know, like maybe I'll listen to a, like a third of it, but you know, it's just those episodes are so long; they require a lot of yeah, focal real estate and. You know, unless I want to listen to it in six parts. Right. Which kind of sucks because then you lose your train of thought when you're trying to pay attention to like the topic at hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I hear that. But if I'm at our other shop across town, you know, sometimes there will be a, a Joe Rogan episode or something that, that had a guest on that would really interest me. I'll put that on the TV, like on YouTube. Yeah. And, uh, List like have that plan, and sometimes I'll have some regulars come in, and half the time they're you know they're just as invested in it as I am after about ten minutes. Nice, <clears throat> but if it's someone I don't know, then I need to uh, uh, go back and watch his episode that he did with Forrest Galante again. I just watched that one the other day. He did well. He did a, yeah. he did a second one. Yeah, he did, he had him on again recently, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to go back and watch that. Yeah, it was, it was really good because he's kind of an interesting guy. Like, I've, I first – when that first episode that he was on Rogan's podcast, I listened to it, and I started following him on, uh, like, Instagram and stuff. Right. 
Um, and I kind of looked through his Instagram and there was so like, he, he, he's a wildlife guy, but yeah. I've then kind of noticed that there's a few snake species that he like identified that weren't right. So was like, <laughs> you really in like a, a, a guy or no? Yeah. I think, I think he's legit. I've been following his Instagram for a little bit, so. Are you going to bed? Uh-huh. No? Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Cover up. Ow! Sally! <laughs> You're going to pull my computer off the little thing. It's because my foot is weird. What are you in there watching? Secret Life of Pets 2. Oh. Duh. <laughs> we got this fancy new unicorn robe. Nice. I have one just like it. For Christmas. And I got a jasmine. I got a I got a real I I got the um the real life um costume of Jasmine. Very the cool. real life one. You gonna wear that for Halloween this year? No, we wear it pretty much whenever we feel like it. Oh, even better. Perfect. That's the way to do it. I got <laughs> an old 17-year-old expired uh, vial of African or South African polyvalent antivenom from a coworker. No, oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's in this, like, plastic case and old paper, and it's basically, a, like, a little glass tube with like this yellow liquid in it at this stage it's a little uh it's a little cloudy and useless because it's supposed it's to be still good you could still use it's it supposed to be, you're supposed to keep this thing between like two and eight degrees celsius so definitely not <laughs> but uh yeah it expired march 2002 it's still it'll still work that shit will buff out Hey, I mean, if you get bit and you got nothing else, would you try it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's better than nothing. Yeah, if you're dying in the middle of South Africa and that's the only thing you got, might as well. Chris is in here now. What's up, man? Do you live? I am here. He lives. What's up, man? What's going on? I'm trying to figure out you... how laptops work. Riley, I don't. Do you know Chris? Chris, do you know Riley? Fucking. Uh, I listened to his podcast today. It was fucking awesome. Hey. <laughs> nice. Thanks, man. Well, hey, nice to oh, meet yeah. you. Yeah, my, nice to meet you, man. Uh, we got Ryan in the chat over here. Yes, Ryan. We were talking about Forrest. Ryan's, Ryan's always in the chat. Yeah, Ryan is he's chat. Always, always lurking. I'm starting to think he's not human. He's plugged in, and like literally, I, he probably has like a tail that like plugs in to <laughs> his computer via USB. <laughs> He's in every live stream all the time. It's like, how do you do it? Always there. But Always yeah, Forrest Galante. I mean, there was another video. I'll have to send it to you, Riley. But he did. Uh, what did he do? It was like Wired or GQ or something. Mm-hmm. And they do, they have like these uh, 
professionals come on and talk like talk about movie scenes and stuff and they're certain in their different field like they have astronauts come on and talk about astronaut movies and Sick. talk about how in a like how improbable whatever's happening in the movie is in real life and then tell you why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he came on and they he talked about like anaconda and, oh nice you know a bunch of animal horror whatever survival movies and have you seen any of his episodes of Extinct or Alive on Animal Planet? I haven't. So I don't have cable, and that's forced me to get creative. And uh, Animal Planet shows a lot of their shows, full episodes online for free, and that's one of them. So I actually went and watched a few, and they're pretty good. Um, you know, for a big corporate Animal Planet type show that you expect garbage, lies, and, you know, nonsense. Right. They actually let it go, and it was pretty good. So uh, I watched a few of them. Isn't it disappointing how just how downhill like Discovery and Animal Planet have gone? Yeah, TV is like everyone. Everyone raves about Shark Week and stuff, and I'm like, why? It's like there's nothing educational about it anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it's, it's all people surviving attacks, and it's like it, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why everyone gets so excited about it because like it's still just garbage, like. Yeah. I yeah. might as well watch Jersey Shore. Well, and they, they said that, like, they're going to change all of their uh, their approach to their shows and not do the sensationalism and this and that. Like, right, and that never happened. A, yeah, they made a whole public statement about it, a big thing. Like, they're, you know, figuring it out, and, you know, that hasn't changed. I believe the terms uh, used were return to form. <laughs> yeah. Return to form. <clears throat> Check it out, Justin. I got one of these Axis Moon dies. Oh, it's that. I guess it's their higher rated one. Man, these are badass. Mm-hmm. Got got one of these packed up. I got a I got a whole bunch packed up for you. I need your. Uh, I'll have to send it to you. Address. This, yeah. They're smoking a underground shade. Those are pretty good. I'm feeling feeling pretty pretty light tonight. Don't want anything too. Uh, too strong. Nice. Cox, his theory about the Tasmanian tigers is pretty legit, though. Seems convincing. He was saying in the in the light, latest episode with Rogan that, uh, like, he's talked to biologists and stuff that that say they've seen them, but he also says, you know, as biologists, they can't exactly go out telling everyone they saw it because right. there's a certain amount of like discredibility that comes with that kind of stuff. Well, and, <laughs> and so and protecting the, the areas they're researching. And as soon as they start saying that people, they aren't going to be, you know, gentle to the environment or delicate about that type of a discovery, you know, going to yeah. help themselves. Yeah. Everybody's going to want to see it. Yeah. Fucking I'm insane. reading uh Carl Sweetak's book, Sweetak, Sweetak, uh, that mm-hmm. adventures in green, tri- uh, green tree Python country. Yeah, and from from his accounts, it sounds like yeah, something like that were heard about, and the locals could hear that they could get money for such a thing. Like they were yeah. killing everything they could. To try. Yep. <laughs> if it had a pulse, they're gonna kill it and bring it to you. <clears throat> yeah, unfortunately, that seems to be the case. Or do everything they can to go catch one and bring it back in a you know dog crate or something. Yeah, 
He said the I was one of the chapters I read recently. He was talking about one of them brought him a a green tree monitor, but they had like shot it with an arrow. Oh, it was somehow still alive, and so he was like treating this thing while he's keeping it, like to I guess export it, and so he's like putting like bacitracin and stuff on it <laughs> and band aids. Oh <laughs> he's like I, he's kind of was basically saying like you you ask him to keep it as intact as they possibly can. And he's like, most of the time you don't know what you're going to get. You could get an animal that's been cut in half or you could get an animal that's in like perfect condition. Oh, geez. That's pretty crazy. I'm trying to burn through that book so I can do a review for the magazine at some point whenever I'm done with it. And I really don't know how I feel about it. Like it's good, but it, it, it all takes place in like the early seventies and there's a lot of dialogue where I'm like, there's absolutely no way you remember that being said. Like, there's a lot of just simple <laughs> small talk. But I'm like, I refuse to believe that you remember all of this. Like, I think a lot of it got kind of churched up. And there's a, a, there's been a few parts where it really made me roll my eyes. And I was like, okay, dude, whatever. He's like really patting himself on the back. <clears throat> hmm. Which Harlan warned me beforehand when I got it. He's like, "Oh yeah," he's like, it, "There's a lot of embellishment." And I was yeah. like, "What does that mean?" He was kind of like, "Oh, you'll see." Now I get it. So, still interesting nonetheless. I yeah, I want to get some of these regions. Yeah, you know what? I really I should ask for this for Christmas, but I wanted to get like a giant PNG map and get it framed like a poster and put it on my wall so that I can like, you know, when I'm reading this book and stuff and looking stuff up, when I hear about conjure localities that maybe are kind of the rare varieties, like go on this map and be like, Oh yeah, it's right there. And yeah. I still might do that. There, uh, the whole locality thing. I know we had talked about Beach honest for a while. It's gotten crazy, man. People are, you know, you, you can't go back to those locations and, see those animals a lot of new caledonia is, is i guess blocked off or you know you have to get with tribes to let you go to certain areas and uh people will do anything to justify that an animal is a specific locality just to be able to stack that extra thousand or two thousand dollars on it to say it's this rare animal and uh you know you've got these i think dave kaufman went there and a few people have gone and it's like you, you do realize these animals look nothing like what you're saying it looks like right mm -hmm. uh and, th and there's I remember watching that video with the crested and being like, yeah, I guess that's what wild crested would look like. It's definitely not a super Dow. Yeah. You know. Turns out that one probably wouldn't make it. Uh, the, 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 the endless justification for people to have obscurity in their normal things is kind of, I think, and Riley, man, I almost want to say you talk about this on your podcast is, 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 almost leading people to work with more obscure animals. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We did really talk cool. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, people don't want to lose these species or they're like finally taking the jump into these species that they've only thought of or seen like in magazines and stuff. Absolutely. Because now there's so much of the mainstream stuff and we've all been, you know, inundated with what's popular and regular. And some of us tend to want to go the opposite direction. So yeah. now there's such a huge group of people out there that are trying to figure out what they want to 
to work with. Uh, and so now that's getting a, a, like a nice resurgence of, of interest across species, like all sorts of things like corn snakes, for example, are making a huge comeback and that's amazing. Yeah. So, which is great. Yeah. We, yeah. All, all of the North American colubrids, which is essentially all of my snake collection of North American colubrids with that, with the exception of some Japanese and Chinese stuff. Uh, they're great. They're all great. They're, they all have their own little attitudes and their own little idiosyncrasies. And, and it's, it's, it's really neat to, to, yeah. to work with them on, on kind of a, a more, more intimate scale than what I would have ever thought before. You uh, keep subox? I don't, uh, I, I thought about it. Um, it kind of dip, dips back into that Texas species, selling them in Texas requires. Oh, permit, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Which I have that permit, uh, but you have to have a permit per animal that you're selling. So because I have bull snakes, uh, and they're local to Texas, I have a permit to be able to sell bull snakes. Now, I'm not breeding them yet, but you just might as well get it now. Uh, right. it's, it's a lifelong thing. Um, but some of my coleonics, I had brevis. Uh, which was an absolute treat to work with. I had uh, Brevis, Variegatus, Mitratus, um, but I never, I never had the Brevis uh, license, so I never, uh, I never went ahead and bred them. I just kept them apart and ended up giving them away. Was happy to keep them, happy to, happy to give them away. It was a neat species to work with, but go out of your way, hundred bucks to get a, a permit to sell a fifty dollar critter that not everybody's really interested in. Yeah, kind of. And it wasn't I can understand. I, yeah. I don't know. I have that complete subot book, which I got for like the Baird's chapter. Like that was all I wanted it for. But yeah. flipping through it and seeing some of those subox, I was like, oh, like another, another, like you can ask Riley. Like every day it seems like there's something on I'm like, God, I want some <laughs> of these. Like between dart oh, frogs dude, and snakes, dude. it's just, it's I've out seen of control. subox in the wild and uh, they're bigger than, I thought they were a smaller colubrid. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ones I've seen were big, uh, big triangular heads. They're, you know, five foot long and they're every bit of five foot. Uh, they're usually a little testy in the wild, but that was, you know, West Texas stuff. I've never seen alternative. I've never seen Bairds. Uh, I know they're out there. I've never done, you know, the, uh, going through the cuts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I've just been up there on vacation and flipped some rocks and, oh man, check this out. Lots of rattlesnakes. Uh, lots of rattlesnakes. I would, man, I would, I, I would love to have just like one pair of wild caught bears just a pair i don't care what they look like i just want a pair of wild bears if if you get in with some of the alterna guys they probably see you know three or four times as many bears as they do alterna mm -hmm. and that, and that they're they're they have that same locality thing going on where little mm -hmm. little sub subsections are different colors different base colors different scales yeah. colors and uh, man, it's they're really neat. Yeah, flipping through that book, I saw a lot of pictures in the Baird sections from uh, Troy Hibbets. Mm -hmm. And so I went and added him on on Facebook and was asking him a few questions about uh, the Mexicans. And because I got a pair from Fleming Reptiles at, a, at one of the Repticons, this was probably at least a year ago. And they've both got that that gray head with the lighter neck going down, which is yeah. like a purely Mexican, like that's a, that's a Mexican trait. So I was asking about it. Cause I was like, man, you probably see more bears in the wild than probably anyone else. Yeah. <clears throat> so I was like, what do you think about these? I was like, I mean, I know they're undocumented, so I know it's really anyone's guess, but he's, he basically told me, he's like, well, you know, if they're looking like that, then they've at least got some 
sort of they got Mexican lineage in there somewhere. So I thought that was cool because that's just a pair of undocumented that I found at a, at a show that I really liked. Yeah. I bought and oh yeah, <clears throat> they're supposed to be clutch mates, but they look like wildly different. It's it's really interesting. One's really light with a lot of contrast on that gray head, like I said, the Mexicans have, and then the other one's just kind of standard looking. But yeah, have you seen <laughs> any of the vivid uh, reptile stuff? They have the yes. they called them oh the metallic rats. Yeah. Man, have you yeah. seen his uh, hypo Durango Mountain pine snakes? He has the uh, Pichopus depi depis, and he has a collection of hypos that they, they I guess, collected. Uh, and they have a summer phase and a winter phase, so some of them are real light, some of them are real yellow. But you get both out of a clutch. For some reason, they they hmm. one clutch will have both. Man, they're they're I think they're like two grand or something a piece right now. Uh, but they're the only people working with them. They, they've got some amazing stuff yeah i mean there's a few sort of native stuff i'd like to have like our the pine whatever pine species we have here i don't even know which one it is but i like the local pines like i really if i could get my hands on some scarlet king snakes and get them eaten regularly like that'd be really cool that's one of those species that's real tough yeah <clears throat> apparently there's uh, tricks like with scarlets apparently like down pine stumps with the bark still attached I'm told, and I've heard this from multiple people, but I've never actually found any when I go look. If you peel like bark off, they like to hang out in there a lot. I guess there's mm -hmm. a lot of, there's a ton, I mean, there's usually a ton of ants and stuff in there, but I'm sure there's animals and eggs and skinks and stuff all up in there that they, they go after. Because they're like predominantly <laughs> lizard eaters, right? From what I understand, it sounds like they're not terribly difficult to get switched over, but I'm, I don't know. I think in South, your South Carolina, I think you'll have, that's Northern Pines at that point. Uh, and yeah, Northern Pines are amazing, man. That's, I, I, on, out of all the ones I have, I, I, I think they're some of my favorites. We had a huge one at the Nature Center I worked at as a kid, man. That thing was a freaking beast. I think scared the shit out of me. Motherfuckers are big. Dude, uh, this thing's a freaking beast, man. <laughs> mine are from the the New Jersey uh, lineage. The you know they used to call them Jersey Giants. They've had a million different names. Uh, got mine from Tom Davis. Uh, I believe the guy's name was actually waited like a year to get get a pair from him. Uh, mine are four months old. I bet they could down a rat, a, a, a weaned or a small rat. They're they're giants. Uh, I got mine after their first shed. I don't even think he had fed them yet. And they can, they can go a, a, a small mouse. No questions. They're, they're, I mean, the Baird's, a, the Baird's babies snake. come out pretty big. Do they? Yeah, I mean, compared to corns and stuff, Baird's, Baird's, I think that's, they have smaller clutches. So, I mean, that mm -hmm. kind of makes sense. It's similar, I guess, to the, like the Conjo versus uh, Popwin thing. Like Jake, his female laid eight eggs. My chondro laid like 17, but two of those chondro eggs could fit in like one of those pop one eggs, even though that female of his was considerably smaller than my female green tree. It's really bizarre sort of how that yeah. works out. And I'm sure that's an environmental sort of adaptation of some sorts, but yeah, for sure. That's, uh, I think the Louisiana pines, cause I can't have the, I can have them, but I can't, there's anyways, Texas laws, um, which are pretty lenient. Uh, but I think that's the reason they have such small 
clutches is they have the biggest eggs of any North American colubrid. Mm-hmm. They're massive eggs, monsters. I do. I just I do like Pituovis. I just I don't know. I don't have a ton of desire. Like I really like the Kankakees. Like me and Jake have very similar tastes as far as the Pituovis go. Yeah. Um, I know. I, really, I like the native ones. I like messing with Jake's when he when I go over to his place. You know, I like riling his up. That's it's super fun to get them hissy and 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 spitting and they're all they lose their mind and usually you take them out of their 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 enclosure and they're just another snake they do this backup thing when you're holding them they're they're real and i guess they're real notorious for doing this they always try to back up because they they, you know they'd be Mm -hmm. in gopher holes and and stuff like that so when you're holding them they're always moving backwards it's kind of neat i've got a few bears that do that it's really I, i hate it it drives me nuts like they wrap around my wrist but then as they back up they're like corkscrewing backwards up my arm. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, I think the wildest stuff that I have right now, it's just the best to work with is, uh, yellow rat snakes. Uh, I got a pair from two different females but from the same male and they're Seminole County, Florida F ones. And these two animals couldn't look more different, different color eyes, different color face colors, different color saddles. Uh, but they're, they're, firecrackers man you open their little tub you pull them out and they're just they lose their mind and they're mm-hmm. they're like heat-seeking missiles with their with their little nips it, it's 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 hilarious that's another one me and jake have talked about doing too i mean we have like yellow rats are crazy common here and we get some really big ones and they're usually yeah. pretty mellow too i think they get to a size where they realize nothing's really going to mess with them and so they're fairly chill for the most part yeah um but like I don't, that's another species I kind of don't understand why there's not a whole lot of people who really keep or do anything with them, you know, with them. I guess maybe it's because they're so common pretty much everywhere they are. Yeah. Um, you know, the black rats were really popular <clears throat> when I was kind of first getting into snakes was probably like 2003, 2004. And uh, black rats, it felt were like blowing up. There was the, you know, the licorice rat snake, which was the light sided. And then there were the albinos. And, and I think there's even a calico one. And then there's the iterations of all of those jumbled scaleless. together. <laughs> the scaleless ones. Yeah, oh, man. I had those scaleless snakes, you know, to each their own, whoever's keeping them, they freak me. They freak me out, man. That is a, that is as unnatural as it gets. I just don't get the appeal. I mean, I don't like, if people want to keep them, whatever, I don't care. But, I thought the whole point of keeping reptiles was like to have a scaled creature. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of going the other way. If I want something like that, I'll just go get like a hairless rat or something. If I wanted to basically handle a scrotum, <laughs> then one of them, I one of them have my cats. own and B I could get. Yeah. I, <laughs> I will lie down and shave myself if this is necessary. I'm sure they feel the same. I've never actually handled one, but I can't imagine they feel a whole lot different. I, I've I've seen them at shows and, and just kind of they, they just they look creepy. I don't know. That's and you know I've never looked at snakes or spiders and been like, oh, that's a ugly animal. But I, I've got a friend that has them. She loves them. More power to her. I love that she has them. She has some beautiful uh, combinations of the morphs. And I still think you know the morph thing's cool, man. There, there's all kinds of neat stuff you can do with it. You can you can mix and match and, and create beautiful beautiful snakes. I mean stuff that you just 
your wildest dreams couldn't imagine. Uh, it's not. It's not definitely not really my thing. Um, I've got some more corn steaks. I've got some more uh, pitiopus. Uh, <laughs> <but>. <laughs> oh man, my man. Straight up, straight up, he says. I don't want to say it, but I have to imagine that's what the the, the, uh, the feel of a, a scaleless snake is. Uh, and the, okay, so the scaleless ball pythons are actually like fucked up, right? Like they don't work, they don't do snake stuff. I don't know, man. I like I. They I think look like they do. They all look like burn victims, honestly. I think you just have to like uh, keep them drier around shedding because they they have really sensitive skin, so it can prematurely tear the belly scale area okay. off because that's what sheds first. I don't mm-hmm. know enough about it, but there are definitely people that seem to have techniques on husbandry and like how they administer humidity at different times of their shed cycle. Okay, I've heard some different theories about like micro tearing because they don't have scales, so that like they shed more frequently and issues with it as a result. But uh, I'm not sure, you know, what is or isn't valid. But I saw uh, some adults at a show. I saw an adult scaleless pinstripe at a show uh, here in Sac recently. So that was pretty wild. So I think some people are having success raising them to adulthood and getting them, you know, figured out. But I, I'm with you, man. They're they're kind of creepy. Yeah, it's a it's a weird. It, it, it's seemingly unnatural. It, it kind of it plays a trick with my mind, at least when I see it. I'm just like, oh, that's kind of oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they're gross. I know there <laughs> I was mean, someone who got a there was someone who got a scaleless bearded dragon, and I think they said they had to like rub it down with lotion. Like every other day or something like that. Like they no, literally had to. It's like they were already kind of high maintenance to begin with. Like let's just bump it up a notch. Yeah, because Curel ain't cheap. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan That's... of leaving the scales on the animal. <laughs> I, mean... I also wonder, like, how that affects as far as like UV exposure and stuff. Like with beardies, where they need UV. Like, do you then have to? adjust the amount of UV you're giving them because now they're even more prone to like being fried. Probably. Yeah. It's gotta be. And and, you know, what's what person is going to do some kind of a long-term study on any of these effects on any of these animals for something they're never going to see in the wild. Like what's the point? Yeah. 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 And, and you know, it's how how many bearded dragons live to be two, right? Like in, in the hobby anyways, uh, that's probably one of the, first animals that comes to my mind that people never take care of right uh never feed right always have issues that's i don't, know, I, don't I don't need to see a scaleless lizard <laughs> what i i want i want answers on how we can have what's essentially like the same gene show up in multiple species and look the same like scaleless ball pythons scaleless corn snakes i think they even have scaleless king rats now if i'm not mistaken Oh God! I, I know scaleless, scaleless, scaleless Western Diamondbacks. Like, yeah, how does that, that gene yeah. show, like, phenotypically show up the same and like across the spec? Like, I guess the same could be said for albinism, but yeah, yeah. Like, how does it? How does that happen? Like, how is it that we have these scaleless morphs all show up in multiple species at the same time? And and think about albinism a little bit on something like a San Diego gopher snake. There's four different 
strains of albino. Mm-hmm. None of them interact with each other. Right. Yet it's causing a similar effect in a different way. Yeah. But I, I mean, it's, that's, but it's, you know, it's not albino anymore, right? Like it's like, it's, it's a different type, type of amelanism, I guess. I don't like the T positive T negative, all that stuff. Or is that different? No, with the, uh, I believe with the San Diego's and I may be, be speaking with a little bit of lack of intelligence on it. There's four different lines. There's Humpers, Applegate, <clears throat> Bechtel and Dryers. And each one is from the person that it popped up in their collection or they found the wild animal and people have crossed every single one of them together and you only just get heads of all the others. But then when you take heads of the others and breed them together, you'll get different ones. None of them combine into like a, a you know, a, a double homozygous, I guess. Yeah. Right? You only get you only get a homozygous visual of, of, of one of each. And that's kinda right. that's kinda funky. How does that happen in one species but yet in, in something as common as a, as a corn snake, people have found wild albinos, but they're all interact the same, even to mm-hmm. the point of, I believe the T positive uh, works in, in with the albino. You can breed them together and get both something like that. This is why, I, crazy, don't, this is why I stick to, to like normal Okatees and like normal, I don't. I, I mean, the only morph I really have in my collection is my hypo bairds. Like everything else, well, I got the stonewash brettles, but I don't know. I just like this is actually Riley. You guys should have Benson Morrill on the podcast, and you can you can ask him because I'm sure he's the guy that has the answers as to why that same gene works across multiple species and looks the same. Yeah, he might have insight be, into that. He'd sure. probably be the guy to 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 ask. I don't yeah, know, but that's something definitely. I think about all the time. You know, motley boas, motley corns, like how is yeah. it that that gene looks the same in species yeah. that are yeah. pretty far apart in terms of the evolutionary like spectrum? <clears throat> so. And if you take a motley corn snake and a striped corn snake, both of that genetic, I guess, malfunction happens on the same locus. And if you breed those two together, you'll get half and half in your clutch. Yeah, there's a lot of weird genetic relationships at play that are similar across species mm-hmm. like retakes ball pythons corns um a lot of those have you know very similar or identical like look at the jaguar gene there's jags in, co- in carpets there's jags and retics in Is ball there? pythons they just yeah in ball pythons, they just call it a spider. In regions, no, it's called the spider jaguar. Do the same thing. Oh, yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. They behave the same way genetically. They do the same thing. It's a reduction of pattern, increase of yellow, varied amounts of neuro, and this quote-unquote super is uh, a, lo- a fatal leucistic white snake that just dies. I believe somebody bred a spider ball python to a jaguar carpet and got, got <laughs> fatal leucistics. Uh, really? I think it literally, yeah, I think it literally worked the exact same way. Jesus, so yeah. I just I don't understand how that how that happens when you're literally not crossing any streams. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I want answers. This is, this is like the the kind of stupid shit I think of when I'm in the shower. Is like I, I feel like the only <clears throat> the only way people could go about it would be to look at the just the evolutionary tree and look you know find the common point in their ancestry as far as like 
a snake yeah. is a snake, you know, like going back um, and then tracing it back to that point and then just seeing, you know, where you go. I don't know. This, yeah. That's the common thread, you know, I guess that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that'd be sort of the, the starting point. Yeah, there's some reason <clears throat> why they all get it. And so I don't know. Yeah. I'm He's not qualified for that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of those, man. Uh, do you all know? I know there's like scaleless Texas rats, scaleless corn snakes, scaleless mm -hmm. Everglades. Mm -hmm. Are those probably all starting from the same animal and then just hybridized out? I've got to guess that, right? See, I've wondered that about a few morphs, though. Like if we saw mm -hmm. white sided stuff, maybe that's the bad example, but. Like there's some morphs where it's like, okay, we saw this in this species like three years ago, and now all of a sudden it's in this species, and we've never seen it before. Like something exactly. ain't something ain't right. Like yeah. someone somewhere had to have, have meddled a little bit and caused that that chain reaction. I know there's there's a, something I'm thinking of in particular. Maybe something with corn snakes and like crossing them with the. Uh, not fox snakes, but maybe like Slowinskis or something. And there's a certain uh -huh. morph that gets attributed. Oh, like if you go you're back to talk about Tessera. Maybe. Yeah, the Tessera gene is kind of assumed to have uh, some sort of like other king snake or rat snake right? or king snake. Yeah. yeah. There's something like that. And then there's also debate about like uh, if your corn snakes lay like certain shaped eggs that means that somewhere back in their genetics they've been hybridized because tech like this is what one theory is that they should be all producing like oblong eggs right but not all of them do i'm not sure i definitely talked to joe about that because he had an episode about that for sure yeah well yeah, yeah, yeah. i'll be able to put that to the test because i have my corns together now I, I finally set up the rack jake gave me I put in my pair of bears together. I put in the corners here. They haven't warmed up yet, so they're still being kept nice. on the cool side. But yeah, that's what it was. Cox, Cox hit it on the head. Creamsicle. That's what yeah. I was thinking of. Oh yeah, Emory that's rats. the that's the rats we have down here. Yeah, there is a gentleman down here that works with striped emerys that are all from Nueces County. Uh, he found a little population of them, started breeding them all together. Now I think he has F3s that are almost fully striped, and they're badass. Damn. It's pretty cool. See, Cox is on point, man. What would we do without that guy? We'd have to read our own books. That's right. <laughs> like, Just say, Cox, give me the cliff notes, and I'll bet you you could. It's the kind of guy we need in college. Hell yeah. Give you twenty bucks to write a paper. <laughs> I bet she'd knock it out of the park too. <clears throat> I'm still confused on how that whole Tessera gene works. Honestly, like I, I had some Tesseras. I don't have them anymore. That's probably my favorite morph as far as corn snakes go because it just it looks so cool. But it's badass. It's so confusing because there people were like, "There's no such thing as supers." Like, yes, it's a it's a homozygous trait. But just because you breed two doesn't mean you have supers. And then there are people who are like, yeah, that does mean there are supers. You just can't really tell much of a difference. And I was like, because I was planning to breed some at some point. But then I was like, I, I don't know what what to think anymore. It's <laughs> I my, my male corn snake that I'm breeding this year is a Tessera with a stripe. So 
the stripe gene kind of still has some muddling on the sides. The tester gene still has muddling on the sides, but when you snap them together, you get a perfect stripe all the way down the snake. Mm -hmm. Oh shit. That's on my computer shot. Um, and, and so I got him from a buddy because his genetics match some of the genetics of some females I got a couple years ago. Uh, I'm going to bring them together just kind of experience wise. And also I want to see kind of how all these genetics work, but yeah, I've, I looked into the super version of the Tessera and I have no definitive answer. It's kind of like what you're saying. I don't know for sure. Uh, and, and I don't know if anybody I asked around. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I asked some corn snake people. I read some, some forum posts and stuff and I got pretty much the same result across the board. It was like one person said it works this way. Another person said, no, it works this way. And I'm like, so the answer is nobody knows. <laughs> so, so the answer is there is no answer. <laughs> so if you assume one is a super version, what does it matter? Because bringing it back to something else, you'll still only get, I guess, 50% if it's co-dominant or whatever. Right, yeah. Uh, if it's still – or do you take a super tester and bring it to something and now you have all testers? I don't, I don't think that's the way that works either. And those are all uh, – <laughs> I've given up sticking to my, my normal stuff, you know, as aside from yeah. the hypo, hypo bears, which – I don't know if I'm interested to see what the Mexican bears with the hypos would look like. But at the same time, I kind of feel like I'm killing a unicorn because the, Mex <laughs> the Mexican bears are already kind of hard enough to find as is in the hobby. Yeah. Like every once in a blue moon, you'll come across some. It's like, do I really want to be that guy that's going to be like, hey, I got this awesome Chihuahua. I'm going to breed it to a crested from Petco. <clears throat> Which gecko-wise, that that drives me crazy when people do that. It's like you're gonna take a thousand dollar gecko, yeah, and breed it to a two hundred dollar crested, like, and make why? a five hundred dollar hybrid. That's yeah, was, sometimes good looking. That no one can do anything with. Yeah, pointless. I'm like, why? I don't. I and I guess it's not a whole lot different from from carpondras and stuff. In a, in a way. But yeah. You could draw parallels everywhere on that, you know. Yeah, yeah. it'd be like just, me breeding a, a Brazilian rainbow to a Colombian boa or a Colombian rainbow, you know. Yeah, didn't somebody take a a, a Bolin's python and yeah. mix it with a, a, a carpet python? Oh yeah, people yeah. do that all the time. That's for they're whatever like, reason, same thing. There's two generations in. There's like seventy five, twenty fives of that. It's awful. That's I just I don't understand. Like you're gonna spend all that money on a Chihuahua. Yeah. Just to bring it to a crested. Yeah. The, uh, I, don't have, I, I really don't have an issue with hybrids. Sense. It doesn't make sense when you do it with a species that hasn't been established in captivity. Yeah. Do the work, spend the money, put your time in to try to do that, and it'll, you'll be you'll be uh, celebrated much more than just having something to sell. I don't yeah. maybe whoever's doing it is doing it on their own experiment. Who, who am I to judge otherwise? But in, in my in my mind, it'd be much more celebrated for somebody, another, you know, out of the small handful of people that have done it to, to breed these things in captivity and say, okay, well, now you get my two cents. This is how I did it. Uh, sure. It's one more little notch for all of us to have. Uh, yeah. Have more, I, more information on. Yeah. I mean, I'm, like I said, I don't really have an issue with hybrids. Like, I don't plan on doing any. But Billy Hunt... You know, he does his car ponders and jag ponders, and those are cool. But Billy also has a lot of very focused projects that are locality specific, like 
you know, he just, he happens to have the spare, the spare parts, quote unquote, you know, to be able to do that kind of stuff. And I know he's not going to be like, I, with Jag Ponders and Car Ponders, I guess it's a little harder to kind of sell it as something that it's not like, hey, this is just a carbon python. It's like, okay, well, why is it like lime green? <laughs> <laughs> it's they're cool looking. Uh, it's the yeah. stuff. It's the stuff that gets thrown into the the mainstream with everything else, and no one is told about it. You know, that becomes the kind yeah. of issue that, that gets released back into the general populace. And gets sold without any documentation and stuff. And I mean, we've seen that with carpets over the years, you know. So it's it, 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 you know, how far do you want, how finite do you want to break it down? Uh, it gets down to the people that are so locality specific and obsessed, right? Like you can't, you cannot take a, a, a GT lychee and, and breed it to a new army. Because you're, you're you're breaking up the bloodline, you know. We only have so so few of these left, and it's like, well, but it's the same species, and maybe you get something that looks really cool. So you get that group of people, and then you, you know the the Pitiopus, uh kind of community is, is a really interesting one too, because you have these guys. Okay, I have a white sided bull snake. I want to breed it to a Sonoran uh, gopher. These are subspecies of each other. What's the problem? Maybe you have one of these meekers or rusty Sonorans that's indicative to only that subspecies. You know, it's it's a there's a lot to it. It's a lot of uh, logistics, and, and you know, I guess in my eyes, you know, I guess do what you want to do in your own box of snakes. Uh, it's pretty unnatural in the end, uh, but but don't, you know, I don't know. I represent them accurately. Yeah, make make sure you 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 represent it. You let people know what you're doing let it be another stepping stone of uh, knowledge that we get to work from. You know, it could be as long as we're learning from what we're doing, then maybe it's not the worst, but. Uh, How accurate uh, though are lychee localities? In my personal opinion, uh, and there, there is a lot of arguments to this, but I don't think they're accurate at all. Because I feel like uh, they're kind of like chondros, where people are like, I mean, obviously a biak is a biak, like we know that's a biak. But then yeah. you get some of the other stuff where it's like, well, this is a vocal cop. It's like, okay, well, do we actually know that it is, <laughs> or is that just what the guy who bought it from this guy who sold it to this guy said? You know, there's yeah. it's like the, the telephone game, and that's been kind of my big argument with with chondro localities. Not that they don't exist, but how accurate can they be? And my thing is, is like. You're never 100% accurate unless you went and got it yourself. Yep. And, so I and, wonder, like, lychees, I see it being very similar. Like, no one's going and getting these things from New Yeah, Caledonia. you can't. And, and, and these things were shipped over in, in wine boxes, in, in, in water bottles with the place that they left from, right? Wrote on them right. because the people collecting yeah. them, they don't, they don't get two shits. Uh, so there are a few groups of people – uh, that have spent a lot of time to maintain localities and to uh, make sure that, that their localities are preserved. But after a couple generations, what does it even matter anyways? You know, we, we picked the prettiest ones. We held back the prettiest ones. We bred them so that now they have these beautiful snowflake like patterns right. on the back. What does it even matter? I, I have, uh, I just paired some up uh, a couple weeks ago. It went successfully, which was great because that's terrifying. Uh, and one is a, a pure new army with paperwork uh, from the hampers. Uh, a buddy of mine purchased this directly from them. 
so to some extent, I should say, well, I need to find another pure new army uh, to breed it with. Well, I, I did. I got I got a new army male to, to breed her with. But I have no way to prove that. So when these two breed, they look the same. They, they, they have the same attributes. They're both mm -hmm. small, about 175 to 190 grams, which is small on the small side. Uh, same head structure, same body structure. I'm not selling on this pure new armies. Right. I, I, I have no... Do it. so am I doing a disservice to the hobby by not preserving that locality? I don't know, making fucking cool looking little pajama geckos, man. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's they're, 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 they're super neat, they're super fun to work with. They can be aggravating, but that adds to the allure. Uh, and and for me, you know, once once you get past that F2, F3. What are we, it's not, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, really, that point isn't saying. even important, right? Yeah, uh, I, I have my Chesapeake Bay Eastern Kings uh, being pulled out of hibernation here or brumation uh, soon, and they're minor F threes, right? Do I do I put those on my table? These are well, these are these are F four Chesapeake Bay Eastern Kings. I mean, I'm going to tell people they're Chesapeake Bay lineage, but or, or that's their locality, that's where they're from, but yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to demand a higher price. Uh, you have people like Chris Montrose uh, over at Dark Horse Surface Culture. He's working with wild collected populations of these animals, and he's producing F1s and some very rarely F2s. And he's got down to pinpoint accuracy where these animals were collected. Yeah, that's that's somebody really working with the with with, with true locality preserving preserving locality so that people like me can enjoy them. I'm not worried necessarily about preserving those localities. Now I'm not going to delineate into other animals and, and you know, muddle localities because, because I kind of don't really, I'm not trying to make a puppy mill of snakes. You know, if, if I get to breed these animals, pay it forward, give, give them out to friends, that'd be great. If not, I get to have in my collection F1s of all these certain localities, which is for me, it's more of a collection than, than, than anything else. So, but yeah, with, with the lychees, I don't, man, I, I wouldn't, It means so much to so many people that I hate talking negative about it, but I don't. I don't think it. it I don't think there's any any juice to a lot of it, man. Uh, especially yeah. the really rare stuff, you, you know, that the Section C GTs or, or, or certain of these that, man, you couldn't tell the difference between one right. green lychee to another green lychee. I'm like, dude, these all look the same. <laughs> uh, until you get into like your yates, uh, now your yates are real, real different. Uh, mm -hmm. They they definitely uh, stand out. Some of the smaller ones, the nuanas, nuanas, which are real close uh, insular species or, or localities, excuse me. Um, they 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 you can really tell certain ones of these. But man, I think the coolest ones, the prettiest ones, are, are combos of all of them. I just, it's funny because with green trees, we I see it on a fairly regular basis. People are like, oh, I got this pure biok. It's like, well, of course it's pure. It was imported, and biok's an island. Like, what else would be there? And so, and and, like, and with, the pure part is kind of redundant because it's like, yeah, there's nowhere else it could come from. Like, if it's a biok and it's imported, like, of course it's a pure biok. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I think if it's so important to somebody to to maintain. A locality then do the justice to yourself to have some level of proof or or, or documentation or mm -hmm. 
don't just be like, oh, I bought this on a, on a table. Man, this guy, he had nine anoles and he had Burmese pythons and he also had, uh, you know, Loma Alta Bear's rat snakes. And, and then it would, would you ever actually think that that's what that was? Yeah. Put the name on it and, and boom, it sold. Uh, the the Kankakee bull snakes are like that. The Kankakee oh, bull snakes, sure. they, they look a certain way. Both of mine look textbook Kankakee bull snakes. I, I have no idea of their lineage. What's the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They look the part. Uh, they act the part for sure. Uh, but where is, where does that locality specific thing come in? Cox is asking about scrubs. Oh, there's so much more research to be done on scrubs. I think we're going to find that they're very phenotypically distinct for each locality. And what we've, you know, been calling uh, an Aru type is a very broad and probably often things like that. It's just like chondros. It's the same thing. There are some folks who mm-hmm. can get the locality information and get it straight and get it, you know, direct. And some of it is pretty legit now, but you know, you see so many things just labeled a uh, Highland scrub or a uh, Southern scrub, just cause it, that's just what it's written on the bag. It came in as, so there's definitely a lot of issues with, um with that so i think when they start saying aru type one two and three it's because they're getting three different looks of animals that are coming in being labeled as arus and they're able to see that they're distinctly different so i bet you in the future we find out that they're able to eventually narrow down which specific locality from that overall because arus abroad name as well yeah you know it's similar it's similar to biak like the Aru Island, that, like that's a, a pretty generic term. There's a lot of localities within the Aru Islands. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few with scrubs that seem to stand out, like tannin bars. Like you can kind of look at a tannin bar and be like, that looks like a tannin bar. Sure. sure. Uh, there's been a few like the Oxibil or however they pronounce yeah. it. Like those look yeah. very sort of characteristic of that area. But um, that was another thing in, in that, that book by Sweet Tack that he talked about, you know, locals would bring him scrubs and he'd get some that were completely patternless. He'd get some that were patterned. I mean, this was like mainland. So this is, uh, you know, not, not an Island thing that he's talking about, but right. it sounds like there's a lot of, a lot of variation just in certain populations and stuff. So maybe that's a, oh, maybe yeah. that's what they're kind of talking about is there's just, there's a lack of a consistency as far as the Aru stuff, depending on what pocket of, you know, gene pool you're in. <clears throat> But yeah, more work just needs to be done, basically. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, and that's, you know, kind of harking back to the leashes. There's not Same really any thing. more work you can do, right? Like, right. you can't get to those areas. You can't export those animals. You, you know, you just have to go back on, on what somebody wrote down on their paper that when they started breeding them and, and, and you know, think about how rare they were in the you know late 80s, early 90s. <sighs> You would have bred any of them two green lizards together in a heartbeat right. trying to make more. Sure. Yeah. And that's well, that's why the stuff that like Natush is doing is so important, I think. And that was the big reason why I wanted to have him on the Chondro cast a while back was, you know, a lot of green tree guys, for whatever reason, I'm sure this applies to carpets and other species too, but 
lot of green tree guys, someone says, oh, these are actually subspecies, and they're like, oh, no, it's all bullshit. And then they have absolutely nothing to back it up because I've, I've talked to a few in Messenger and, and continue to ask them why. Like, they'd give a response to something. Okay, I'd be like, okay, the, why, is, why is that? And then they'd, I'd just continue to do that, and it would always hit a wall. Like, they'd always get to a point where they're like, that's just what I think. Yeah. I'm like, so you have no basis for why you're making this argument. Maybe it's just the cool thing to be like counterculture and be like, yeah, the scientists that spent 10 fucking years out there doing the footwork, you know, between museums all across the world, looking at specimens that have been preserved for God knows how long, and then actually spent time in the native ranges of these species, actually counting scales, actually looking at the differences. Yeah. Comes out and puts out a paper that says, oh, hey, we actually have like four subspecies of these things. And then people are like, no, nah, it's bullshit. It's like, <laughs> how can you argue that? I don't understand. <laughs> uh, leeches were originally broke down into two different subspecies. Uh, oh, for really? the main island GTs were once, once subspecies. And they're, you know, they're the larger, they, they're, they're, they're the ones that stand out. And then the insular species, the smaller ones were another. Uh, but I guess at some point they got stuck back together. That was something that, that people still kind of argue, well, they should be subspecies. So is the, is, is the worry with the green tree pythons now that things are broken down into subspecies? People are, are, are freaking out because they're, they're hybrids or what, what's the, um, yeah. no, not really. I don't, I don't see. Yeah. That. There's some people that are finally waking up to that. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I mean, that was the whole reason I wanted to choose Sean because he basically, like, he had really no real reason to have to do that. He just wanted to. Yeah. Right. Which kind of takes away an argument of he wanted to do it for the notoriety, which is another funny thing. It's like, what, someone's going to read that his name is behind a scientific name on Wikipedia and be like, oh my God, he's famous. Like, yeah. nobody cares. <laughs> and then B, he said that he's he's not a splitter. He's a He's a lumper. He didn't want to split them up. Right. He's usually, yeah. he, said, he said himself, he's usually not one to want to split stuff up. But he's like, in this case, right. there's such a difference between these things that really, he, he could have even taken it further than he did, and he didn't. He could have made himself yeah. species, and he didn't. Yeah, he, wow. when, uh, when he was on NPR and I was filling in for Owen, he said the same thing. Like, there's more that can be done. Like, they can even explore further into some of those localities that he didn't do as much in. And then he firmly believes that they could split it even further. He just took a more conservative uh, approach to naming because he felt like it needed more work. And, uh, and you could see the potential of where it's going. So um, yeah, it could even be potentially split up further. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one thing for, you can't really refute science without backing up your own comments with science, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, you can't just say, Oh, well, that's not right. Uh, throw your hands up just because it's not what you want it to be uh, without, without some level of, uh, you know, scientific backup on your side. Now there's always going to be arguments and insights to everything, you know, the, the mean, rat snake thing. Yeah. I just, yeah, I can't, I, I have a very hard time taking someone's opinion uh, when they haven't actually been to the place of the snakes that they're keeping and B, they've only had a sample size of like 10 chondros to yeah, really say one or the other. It's, and especially when half their, you know, almost all their collection is designer stuff. It's like, what are you talking about? Why does it matter? Yeah. What that, 
that breaks it down. It, even if they weren't, what if we didn't put species names on any of these things and you're trying to preserve a locality and it's just a green tree pipeline, right? And now you're, 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 you're subsecting localities and just break it down by that. Well, when you start mixing them all together, what does it even matter anymore? Yep. You know, it's. Riley, you said you got a dip. Yeah, I got a ski daddle. All right, man. Take it easy, man. It's nice to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for having Thanks, me dude. on. Good chat. And uh, I will catch y'all later. All right, man. Peace. Yeah, it's goofy, man. It's I don't understand it. And I mean, it like fortunately, I noticed most the the green tree python community for the most part really aren't as prudish when it comes to preserving localities as yeah. much as like carpet python guys are. And I think that's that's mostly just due to what I was kind of saying earlier of like no one actually went and got these themselves, so who can really say for sure? Exactly. You know what's what. So. And, and and you know these a lot of the farmed animals and stuff say they're biok animals. Well, how many of those animals came from other islands just to build up the stock on the farm? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true too. Unless you're unless you're pulling these things out of trees or holes or you know what is it? How much? <laughs> how much backup do you have? Yeah, and that I mean that's what I that's why I say is like there's always going to be a degree of uncertainty, even if it's a very slight degree, you know, unless, unless you, you know, for sure that these came and you have a reliable source that actually knows that those came from where they came from. I just, I have a hard time kind of buying into the whole, the whole locality thing. Um, as far as imports go, you know, not that it doesn't exist, not that it couldn't be what it is, but it's just, yeah. It's like there's always going to, you know, you can be 99% sure there's still going to be that 1%. <clears throat> the, uh, one of the things that still, I don't know, it doesn't bug me and I'm not, I don't, I don't have enough of a voice in the hobby to really say much to many people, but you have your Kingsville red bull snakes. They are some of the absolute most beautiful bull snakes in the world. I mean, they're, they're just these natural red, you know, they're not Morris, they're not anything. Well, I'm about five minutes from Kingsville and I've caught a whole bunch of bull snakes. I've never seen a red one. Uh, I, in fact, I've got a buddy that has a pair of uh, adult, man, they're almost eight foot monster bulls that he, he collected down in, down in Kingsville and uh, he breeds them. And he hasn't seen any red. Uh, it's not a, it's not a thing. Now I, I'm sure what happened is there was some that somebody collected at some point that were red from that area and, mm -hmm. and, and line bred them. And, and which is, that's great. Uh, and, and I think people need to realize the difference between like a line bred Definitely. trait and a locality, right? Yeah. If well, I mean, when you're taking the best of the best and you're putting them together, like you're going to get the poster child for that locality. Like you're probably not going to get them to look like that, but yeah. Uh, you know, that, that animal probably wouldn't survive in the wild being right. this right. neon red snake. Uh, you know, you, you, it's, 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 it's you know, it's not a morph in the sense of a genetic uh, abnormality, mm -hmm. but it's but it is to some extent you've you've line bred this thing down to being uh, being what it is, and I think that's the same thing with the Kankakee bulls. People have been breeding these things to where they've got perfect coloration, dark colors, you know, that creamy background, uh, the mahogany on the back saddles. 
yeah. if we went and found one in Kankakee, Illinois, you know what's it gonna look like? Right. I gotta pee real quick. I'm about to piss myself. I'm All right, fine. man. Y'all, uh, there's a very angry bat next to the tree that I chose, and it was like nice screeching increasingly louder. You guys, uh, getting any cold weather over there yet? Oh, yeah, it's cold right now. It's like mid forties here at the moment. It's like yeah, I was gonna say it's like sixty five. I'm in short sleeves. Not not bad here. Uh, so with your corns, did you keep them paired up the whole time through uh, uh, brumation? No, no. I just put them together the other day. Um, Jake gave me one of those. It's one of the dragon cage racks or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's got those huge, like, freaking three-foot-long tubs. I don't know the exact size on them. And I did some rearranging, and I just – I was like, you know what? I need – like, I'm trying to condense some space. I'm supposed to get an animal plastic rack at some point. I don't know when it's coming, but I'm going to – my plan is to put all the colubrids in racks, get uh, – a rack, uh, two racks made for those sort of in-betweener chondros that are that need uh -huh. upgrades but aren't ready for full setups yet. <clears throat> and so my plan is just put all the colubrids in those. But I had that rack and I was planning to put them together anyways. And I, I did rearrange them the other night and I was like, you know what? I'll just throw them together if they start pairing up. Fine. Yeah. So yeah. I, I talked to Chris uh, at Dark Horse about it. I was, you know, asking him about cooling them off. <clears throat> um, and I mean, you could answer this too, but like bringing them back up when I, when it comes time to warm them up, like how often are you feeding yours? So I don't start feeding till mine are up to temperature. Uh, okay. I did that with my rosy boas. Um, here, let me answer Ryan, Ryan's question real quick on the leeches. So yeah. I pull mine apart in November. I pair them up when it's cool in my room. My room gets down to about 70 degrees in December. Uh, we don't really have a cold season. Uh, it, we'll have a few days in the 30s, 40s. Um, so my, my room is never under 70 degrees at all. Usually it's in like 70 to 75, which is kind of where I want it. Might get up to 78, 80 during the summer, which is fine. You know, I, I want to see a big, uh, you know, a, a warmer months and cooler months. Um, so I break mine apart in November. I do that with all my guards. Uh, and, and then I, you know, I decide what pairings I'm going to do, what trios I do for my guards and what pairings I'm going to do for my leeches. This year, just one pair of leeches. Uh, 
Paramount, when it's December, it's cold. Uh, you see just as much activity, just as much eating, just as much response uh, at 68 degrees as you do at 80 degrees. Mm-hmm. I think the babies react more to temperature. My babies don't eat as much during the winter. Uh, they don't grow as fast. They won't eat bugs. Uh, but when they start warming up, when the room gets warmer, they're much more active. Uh, um, but I would hope to see eggs. So they paired up. Uh, they're you know they're sticking on the glass next to each other, which is good. Um, I'd hope to see my first set of eggs in about three months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe two eggs every two months after that, so, somewhere somewhere in that range. Uh, so I would maybe get four, yeah, four four clutches would be like ideal. Uh, I've heard of people having like eight in a year. I've heard of people having you know I've had just one in a year. Um, not not necessarily uh, seasonal. I, and there's a lot of people that once their leeches pair up, they never take them apart. Keep them together forever. And they just always breed. Uh, every two or three months, you get two pretty eight, pretty big old eggs, and just keep going, uh, and they're fine. Um, as long as you're not seeing aggression between the animals, I wouldn't see any any problem with it. The only reason I break mine up is I don't, you know, kind of that puppy mill thing. I don't want a bunch of geckos that I gotta take care of. I mean, <laughs> I, got, I got a I had a bunch of gargoyles, and I just hatched Luchi a couple days ago. Uh, one one lone egg from from last year, well, I guess 2019. Uh, but man, you know when you got got these eggs that you know it hatched at 134 days or something, and that's at uh, about 76 degrees. Uh, um, but as far as as cooling or bringing them up, so I, I had rosy boas. I had three different localities of rosy boas, um, and that was like my main focus for a while. Uh, I really liked them. They're really fun. They're they're the the I hate saying it the dumbest animal on the planet. Um, <laughs> they're, they're hilarious. Um, but when I cooled them, I got them down into the sixties, which I had read was fine. And then as I brought them up, uh, I didn't start feeding them until they hit what their temperature was going to be. So for them, I had them on the higher end, uh, 86 to 88, uh, on the hot side and they did great. Um, and that's when I started feeding every three, four days, uh, smaller meals, and then get up to what their main meal size would be. And then, and then instead of going like once a week or once every two weeks, once every two weeks is probably more normal. Uh, for the colubrids, once every week or once every two weeks. I would shorten that once every five days, once every six days. And then <laughs> what I'm doing with the colubrids this season, I'm planning on uh, once they hit temperature, which I'll do it over probably a week or two, right? Like I'm not just going to throw them in, the, in a hot box. Uh, uh, I have separate areas set aside. So right now some of them are at 55 degrees. They'll get moved up to 65 degrees. Then they'll get mm-hmm. put in a rack at about 7, 75 without heat. But I'll pop the heat on. Uh, my hot side doesn't get over 82, 83. Uh, and, I, and I've never had anything not thriving at that that temperature. I know some people go up to 84, 86. Uh, 82 has been great. I kind of shoot for 82. Uh, and I'll start doing small meals, probably like <clears throat> either small mice or hoppers. You know, just don't want to – Shock the system. Right. Lots of water. Throw, lots throw of fresh huge, water. huge meals in them. Um, See, I, I didn't like. I kind of pseudo cooled mine. Like, I didn't really get them cold. Um, and I did regular water. Like, I left their water bowl. I just literally took them off heats, and they were on like yeah. the bottom bottom shelf in my room. So they were getting. They're still getting um, like upper sixties, low seventies. 
sometimes mid 70s if it's a warmer day yeah because uh, there is a window in that room so it does kind of heat it up a bit but um, with my with my gophers that's exactly what i did i pulled them off the heat and my biggest thing fresh water of course keep fresh water with them stop feeding yeah i did and, that too i took them off food I, I think i fed the corns like i had some spare like small hoppers and i was like here yeah whatever. um but the bears haven't had anything to eat um but they've and, also, I put a big hide box, like I get those Nycrew lights for my dark frog cages. Mm-hmm. And so I have this like foot and a half long box and they've both been cuddled up in that for the last two days since I put them in. So nice. Hoping that's a good sign. I am going to try the feeding them all separately and getting them up, you know, to where they're eating their full meals and, and wait for the first shed. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was told once the female shed, put the sheds in with the male and leave them overnight like that and then start introducing them to the females. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my Eastern Kings, they will be under 100% supervision when they're <laughs> hanging out with <laughs> Dude, each other. Easterns, Easterns are nuts, man. Mm-hmm. My dad had a few and I don't, I think he still has one and he's planning to, he's planning to part with it. So if you're looking for another one, let me know. Um, the female? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, dude. Ask me what's trapes and gargles. I got buckets. I got buckets <laughs> and gargles. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 Easterns they they're they're gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna do the. Uh, I think Joe uh, from Port City Pythons. He has a video where he actually pairs his, his corn snakes up where he sees the locks in like tubs. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do that with my my kings instead of just leaving them overnight or anything. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. See with the rosies. Or with the rosy bows, and it kind of sucks. I, I ended up uh, my rosy bows did did have uh, litters, but I had already had to get rid of them uh, once once that whole tax ID license, fish and wildlife thing happened. I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna risk it. Um, mm-hmm. They you, you pair those up for like four days, pull them apart, let them eat. They take forever to digest the meal, so they might it might take like a week for them to poop. They poop and then you put them back together. Uh, yeah. But those you gotta be, you gotta be careful uh, pairing up rosy bowers because anything anything and they, they're gonna jump at it. Uh, so what I would usually do is take them both out, kind of have them holding them, and then put them back into the tub uh, together at the same time. So they've gotten rid of that little feeding response. Because mm-hmm. uh, man, I've been bit by some rowdy snakes before, but a little two and a half foot uh, San Matthias rosy boa is the worst bite I've ever had in my life. <laughs> uh, she got me right between my fingers and Ooh. and right on the web and just bit and curled up. Uh, took everything in my life to get her off of me, and there was teeth. I was pulling teeth out for like two days. Damn, just ugh, those things are little little snap dragons, man. Uh, but beautiful, beautiful, beautiful animals. Uh, they're 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 really really neat. Yeah, I was talking to Chris about the whole thing with the cooling and whatnot and feeding and. I mean, I don't, if he had mentioned in the Nerodia article he did in the last issue of the magazine that he pretty much keeps his pairs together pretty much constantly, like trios or pairs, he keeps them, like they cohab pretty much year round. Absolutely. Yeah. He pretty much told me he's like, keep them together. You know, once you start warming them up, feed them, he's like, you know, they'll kind of like chondros, which is kind of what I do with those. Just put the male with the female and wait and he'll know when she's ready and she'll make it happen when she's ready. So, yeah. The uh, you know, I, talking with Chris also uh, quite a bit. You know, he he cohabs year round. He he never separates the animals. Uh, he's just careful when he feeds. 
I, I yeah. kind of want to try that with some of my rats, especially like my fox snakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, once once they're kind of close to that breeding age, I'm going to cool them together, and then from then on, you know, make sure they're in a suitable size. I really like like V70s or V108s. Mm-hmm. Have a cool looking. I'm not I'm not a big display cage kind of guy because I don't really want people coming over and going through my stuff and looking at everything like a zoo. Yeah. Um, but something like a V70 for a couple four foot rat snakes would be really cool to have it set up, you know. Yeah, he thinks he he says the beards. He thinks the beards will give me more trouble than the corns will. But I've also I asked on one of there's like one beards group on Facebook and it's well it's the biggest and it's also like the only one. But <clears throat> it was originally a European beards group and then they changed it I guess when they started getting more U.S. folks in there. But um, I asked I was like you know when you guys cool down. You know, what do you guys do? And some people were like, I don't cool down at all, and I get results. Yeah. Some people are like, I do cool down, but only because I have a bunch of other stuff I need to cool down anyways. So I just do it all together because that's easier to, to deal with. I know so. there's a lot of people out there that uh, are, are, are kind of starting to realize that the feeding schedule, uh, the, the rotation of the feeding is, is sometimes more important than the cooling. Right, uh, the food cycling, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's kind of what I did with the with the gophers. I, I, I really hope uh, they go. That's that's you know the pitchovers are really my favorites. But uh, but if they don't, it's well, we'll try something different next year. Or maybe we'll do the same thing again next year. It's, you know, I've got young animals. I've got you know, I've I've got plenty of time to to learn these things and and and, and, and kind of figure out how it works in my room because my room's different than your room. Our rooms are different than somebody over in Arizona mm-hmm. at, you know, 20% humidity. Uh, and they're straight up species. I can't keep, uh, you know, when I had my rosies, I, I hadn't really gotten that big into the racodactylus until they were already adults and they were kind of adjusted to my room, but I couldn't keep water bowls in their cages. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they got, whenever they got fed, I put a smaller size water bowl in their enclosures for probably two days, took it out and then, you know, feeding them every two weeks. Uh, some of the big females I was feeding them like once a month, man, they, they just, they don't move much. They don't, they don't poop much. Uh, don't give them a lot of access to water to keep that humidity as low as I could possibly keep it. Uh, Cause yeah. you know, my, my room is naturally 55% humidity. Um, I had knobtails. Uh, Wheeler I synced this and I had terrible luck with them. Uh, I got them as they were like yearlings, had a trio. They did eat, they 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 you could tell they were uncomfortable. I, you know, I had them in tubs on the right temperature, you know, 90, 92 degrees on the hot side. Uh, gave them to a buddy who lives more inland that does leopard geckos. Uh, he puts them in his leopard gecko rack and these things are just bombastic little food monsters. They eat all the time. They're perfect. You know, they do their little shed where they leave shed all over the cage. It's just mm-hmm. super funny. Uh, and, and he's having just endless luck with them. He, he's cooled them off and he's pairing them up now, which is, which is awesome. Uh, they just don't know if it was the shock of the humidity uh, or, or what, but it just, it wasn't, wasn't doing well. Yeah. Those I've, I've been tempted with those two, just talking to Phil because Phil's a huge knobtail guy and, yeah, I just—they're bad. Anything I've man. learned from the podcast and stuff—it's like you can enjoy it and not have it. Yes, kind <laughs> of. I'm already fighting on space as is, so it's—it's it's hard, man. It's hard to not have everything, right? 
But what intervals are you warming yours up again? Like how often are you bumping the temps up when you when you're bringing the so out of, out of cooling? So I'm pulling my stuff out in two weeks, uh, mm-hmm. and they'll go. So that'll be the second second week of and the second week of January. So the next uh, two weeks of January, they'll be in like my closet, which so they'll go up from 55 to about 65, 65, 70. And I'll do that for probably a week or two. See, just see how they're acting. You know, if if they're real manic, if you see them moving around a lot in their tubs or whatever, uh, introduce them to fresh water. Because my king snakes, I don't have water with them. I was told not to put water in the in the, in the uh, wine cooler because I might have humidity issues. Yeah. Um, they I check on them. They they look great. They they seem to be fine. They don't move much, which is kind of expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll do two weeks bumping them up about. 10 to 12 degrees and then i'll do two weeks at that temperature which will be you know in the 70s but there will be days when they'll, they'll get up to that 72 uh, 72 74 inch mm-hmm. and then uh, i'll go ahead and put them in there in their normal tubs which will be another about 10 percent or a 10 degree increase um and at that point after a couple days on on heat I'll, I'll start giving them little meals that's the plan uh and man i, I know people that Stick them in the ice chest, brumate them, pull them out, throw them on heat, and feed them that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know people that pair them up immediately after brumation and have great luck. Uh, I was going to kind of hold out and do the shed thing, try and see how that, that works, maybe be a little more – maybe the corn snakes, I don't need to do that. I don't know. Maybe I just pull the corn snakes out and they start breeding already. I probably could have bred the corn snakes in the middle of summer. I know people that yeah. do that. They just pair them up and they get, they get success. I mean, I had that happen once. I was keeping two together, and uh, I had a female that was probably not even two, mm-hmm. and they had locked, and it happened to be a pair, and uh, I got like six eggs from her in one yeah. match. One of them went the distance, but I'm probably overthinking it because, I mean, they're, I feel like most rat snakes, you really don't have to do as much as we probably do with them to get yeah. what you need. <laughs> you know, like that's why I think – my pseudo cooling uh, <clears throat> might be enough. Like if the temperature drops, I mean, that's a significant drop. If you think about it, if your hotspots, 86, 90, whatever, and you're keeping them steady at like low seventies, I feel like that's, that's gotta be more than enough of a drop to, for them to be like, okay, it's time to something's happening. Chill out for yeah. a bit. Right. Especially with the <laughs> so, food, man. Once, once they're not being introduced to food, their, their metabolism is naturally going to slow down with the cooler temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, there's got to be some kind of a switch. Cooling babies with rat snakes. Uh, so I had some Pyromolana, uh Arizona Mountain King Snakes that didn't eat. Uh, this is answering Ryan's question. Um, and I got them eating like monsters after brumating. Uh, I know a few people that brumate their entire collections. Uh, as, as long as they're suitable animals to brumate, they shut off all the heat in their racks and that's what they do for the year and they get them back and they start pairing them up. Um, I don't think you're hurting an animal to brumate it. Um, I can tell you right now, here in Corpus Christi, we have uh, desert king snakes, uh, emery rats, uh, lots of atrox. Um, and I go out and, and, and you can find these animals still. Uh, you go out on a warmer day, they're out looking for food. They're out laying out on the... Uh, walking paths and stuff like that, warming up. And then, and I doubt that, uh, that these animals would turn down a meal. Um, you don't see any adults uh, this time of year, but I think the, the brumation is probably more 
in the minds of the adults than it is the babies. But how many of those babies make it? You know, right. uh, it, it's that's you know probably not a I mean, lot. It, it makes sense to me because I mean that's what they naturally experience regardless. So I think it can only help long term. Yeah, with that animal, and over the course of its life, it's if it's experiencing that. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a necessity. Yeah, but I think to, for like breeders as they're growing to kind of have sort of the cyclic flow of of seasons and and that kind of thing, I definitely it, don't think it hurts. It, it's that uh, maturing your own collection so that that individual collection is used to what you're doing. Uh, now, introducing yeah. new animals is always going to happen. I mean, we're hobbyists. We're not going mean, <laughs> to. I'm not gonna not buy some snakes. Uh, so so it's 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 just doing your your due diligence with that animal. You know, if you get a pair of adults, or you get some babies late in the season, maybe don't jump them straight into brumation or something. Mm -hmm. That's you should probably keep an animal for a while before you're breeding anyway. I think anybody should be doing that. Just what whatever it is, you want to you want to experience it before you breed it, uh, because you, you can end up with babies real quick. Uh, my local buddy that breeds bulls, uh, well, he only breeds local bulls, which is pretty cool. Um, I was like, so what's your, how do you do it? You know, what's your, what's your plan? He's like, well, I keep them together. And, uh, once a year they lay eggs and I was like, oh, it's <laughs> pretty badass, man. I, I like your style. <clears throat> I think, man, with chondros, like a lot of people, there's, I mean, not a lot, but there's, a, there's guys that. You know, they do their food cycling or they do their temperature cycling and it works. And then you have guys that are kind of like me where it's like throwing the mail when it's time, it's time. Yeah. You're, you're, there's, there's no real recipe. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're probably better off to get the results you want if you do these things. But I also think there's same thing with like the cyclic seasons and stuff mm -hmm. like aromatic. I think, photo period plays a much bigger part into all this stuff than I think people realize. Yep. Like you're, I feel like those shorter days and stuff, photo period and the amount of daylight they're getting, I think plays yeah. a huge part in it. And no one seems to really think about that a whole lot. That's <clears throat> I, I, I see that's kind of why I do the geckos the way I do and pulling them apart in November and reintroducing them in December. Uh, though the temperature may not be massively different, you know, it's not getting really cold. It was never really mm -hmm. hot in the first place. That's when that big daylight cycle hits. And I, and I, I keep my room, uh, well lit, uh, with, with outside light. Um, I, I want them to know when it's day and night and, and, and man, you see it. And I think I hit on it when I was talking on the podcast, these animals are crepuscular. You see them active at dawn and dusk right uh and, and and you know you go in there in the middle of the night they'll be you know stuck on the glass in their little corner doing something you go in the middle of the day they're in the same damn spot but you know you feed them i feed mine right as the sun's going down that's when i spray them too you start seeing them moving around you leave the room for 10 minutes come back and they're all their little food dishes and they're all you know doing their little geckoey stuff mm -hmm. so that's pretty. That's how, that's how it was for me with the Cresteds. You know, you turn the lights out after feeding, you come back in 10 minutes later, turn the lights on, they're all all up in that, that food bowl. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, that, that one month cool you're talking about, I know people that have done that with uh, king snakes. It's similar to what I do with my Pyro Milanas uh, to jumpstart eating. Uh, a period of being cool, uh, a period with less light, um, a period without food, sometimes kind of 
it's like a little boost, right? They they kind of come out of it and then boom, they're 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 hitting food harder. They're they're a little more aggressive. Uh, I think I did my pyros for like two months. I, when I when I when I cooled the rosies, I, you know, I'd done a bunch of research online. There's not there's not a lot of really good information online uh, for rosy bows. There's some really good books out there though, um, and and I only cooled them for I think two months, and uh, two of the pairs went the distance. Uh, they, the people that Ended up with them, got got uh, clutches out of them, which was which was really cool to see. Uh, one of the one of the pairs didn't go. Uh, some dome rocks or something like that. But yeah, man. Are, are so you're gonna pair your corns right when they come out? Or are you gonna you gonna get them up a little bit, start feeding them, and then start pairing them up? I mean, they're together, so I'm hoping just slowly warming them up and starting to offer some food will. We'll do the trick. Those I'm not as worried about. Like corns, I feel like it really doesn't take much to get them going. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that just whenever they pair them up, that's when they lock up. That's when they do their thing, kind of them together. <laughs> I mean, I've put them together and watched them before just to kind of see if something would happen. And the male definitely seemed interested. The female is kind of like, "What the hell's going on?" You know, yeah. Who are you. Uh, I, I definitely. I it may be photo period. You know, we're having a lot more overcast days. Today it was real rainy. Mm -hmm. I see some of my species that are like my black pines. Uh, both of my black pines were, were were pretty tame, pretty handleable. You know, they get they get fussy, uh, but you know, once you get them out, you're you're working with them. They're they're pretty fine. Uh, the male has turned into a maniac. He's he's <laughs> Satan incarnate, and the female has turned got real jumpy. And that's one of the species that I kind of noticed. They're, I've had them for two years now, and they're uh, that was kind of a, a funky, a funky thing that I've been noticing with them is they're they're just maybe it may just be the, the life cycle or what, or maybe they're just showing their true colors. Right. Uh, I just uh, have you ever tried chicks with any of your stuff? Chicks, oh, frozen thawed chicks. Um. No, I mean I have a few somewhere. I think yeah. at my parents' house, but I uh, kind of in a in a in a hope to not just be feeding mice and rats. I I tried chicks with the, the bull snakes, uh, the gophers that are that are not cooling, and my my black pines got chicks today. Mm -hmm. So they they were just as happy to eat them as anything else. I mean, I think if the dudes yeah. give them a steak, they'd probably eat it. They're not. They are definitely hungry snakes. I uh I got a few and to sent uh, pinkies with for the chondros. Oh, that's got, right. Yeah. And I got a I got a five pack of them, so I have some extras. I probably should should offer them up to the the boyga. I know they'll appreciate it more than the other anything else in that room. Yeah, those boyga are cool, man. Uh, man, I love them. They're so on our such cool snakes. On our list of species, you cannot keep. The only ones listed are mangroves. So, so I could have the other Boiga species if, if deemed. Well, my Cyania should be ready to go. Maybe next year. Yeah. Yeah. Are those winter or summer breeders or spring breeders? I mean, those are those. I think those are another one where you you put them together, you're probably going to get something because they're you know tropical, mm -hmm. like Southeast Asia. Yeah. No such thing as a winner kind of thing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. 
those I think would would eat or would would make it happen regardless. But those are kind of like the kinks. Like it's like you, they will cannibalize, so you really got to pay attention to those. That's not that's not something you just leave together and and forget, you know. And they're they're pretty. You uh... eat... <clears throat> Go ahead. What are you saying? I said unless you want to be you know down one snake and have just one really fat one. And... No, that's yeah. After raising the snake for you know three years or whatever, that's what it is. My king snakes, you know, start out as little worms. And uh, you know, I'm not like emotionally attached to, to this stuff. Not that I don't really want to anthropomorphize them, but uh, I'm gonna be real pissed. <laughs> I'm be, yeah, I'm be, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's very. It's not super common with those, but I think it's yeah. definitely been pretty well documented that it, it can happen, and it's not something you really want to take the chance to. Yeah. Are those uh? What kind of price ranges are those in? I don't even. I've never even looked at anything like that. Is, is there a good? Well, my original pair came from Jordan Russell. I have the female, the male I lost kind of early, and I traded him two really nice gargs for him because I was getting out of geckos. And mm-hmm. uh, I think he was selling babies for, I think, 300 apiece. Um, my male, I want to say he was 400. Um, and I think the only reason they're kind of higher like that is because there's just, there's no one really breeding them in the States. There's really, you know, besides Terry Burwell and, and maybe one or two other guys, there's really not a whole lot of people keeping a, a ton of yeah. them except for the imported mangroves that triple L sells or, or whatever. Yeah. You get a lot of that stuff. The, the man that, you know, I, I really focused on the Pitiopus and, and the Pantheropus. I, I love rat snakes and, and, and you know, the, the bull snake genus or gopher snake genus but uh i have been jonesing on baron's racers man that is like the last couple months dry mark on stuff and, and, and baron's racers are the ones that i'm like man i really like some of that to happen this year uh, mm-hmm. i got plenty of room uh you know when we when we built this house i i specific this was like this was the goal i wanted a collection uh, more than anything more than breeding more than more than any of that uh so I, so I decided that room, the size of the closet, the, the location in the house, uh, the, the, I wanted a, an east-facing window so that when the sun is going down or whatever, I'm sorry, I might be saying my directions. Not, not really good with uh, directions, but <laughs> the sun goes down uh, and that's, that window, the last thing it sees is the sun going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, rises in the west, sets in the east, something like that. Rises in the east, sets in the west. I don't know, yes. man. I was a boy scout. I should probably know this. Uh, but when we laid the house out, that room that has a, a big window and it. it's a it's an eighty four inch tall window. Uh, I wanted lots of natural light. I, want, I wanted the sun to be able to go down. You know, you, you get a lot of that crepuscular activity out of these animals. Uh, mm-hmm. That was that was something. But but man, so I've got room. I know the Baron's racers need a lot of room, man. They're they're big. They're they're big critters. Uh, but they're beautiful. I wish more people were working with them. Those are some beautiful animals. Uh, I'm, I'm so bummed that I never got like that rhino rat disappeared and I never got it back, man. Because those are so cool, man. I, that's that's a species I've wanted since I was a kid. Yeah. So I finally got that one. Had it for a week and it got out and never found it again. I was like, that's still still painful. But yeah, R- rhino rats and mandarin rats. I love that they're a cooler species. They would do great mm-hmm. in my room. 
Yeah. I'm just scared, man. I don't know what it is. It's 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 one of those like it's a majestic animal that like you don't want to screw up. But every says they're right. I'm giving them heat. Yeah. 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 It, it, supposedly they're bulletproof. <laughs> Once you get them going, they're they're, they're easy. Just a couple more get, tricks. If I can get if I can get more chondro babies going, like popped out and and going, and I'll I'll get more. I'll try them again. I'll get yeah. Get my hands on some and hopefully not lose them. Uh, you know, right that's now I'm just I'm more focused on like infrastructure and making sure I have racks and stuff for everything that's going to be getting the same size at the same time and yeah. Planning and ahead. Something. Planning ahead is so important. Knowing that you have the space dedicated to the animals that you have, because with a lot of these species, you're looking at three, four years for adult size. You buy them as babies, and they're beautiful and they're cute. Mm -hmm. This is what I've always wanted. Well, you know, black pines get seven foot long, eight foot long. Northern pines get seven foot, eight foot. There's some recorded. I think 111 inches is the biggest northern pine. Uh, I think, and I could be wrong, the longest North American snake recorded on on record is a is a uh, Northern Pine. I wouldn't uh, be surprised. And, and so, you know, plan on it. You know, <clears throat> some, you know, a lot of people keep them in, 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 in V70s, but I want to be able to have, you know, V108s or, or, or four foot by, by two foots. Uh, you know? I just make, don't want make, to be caught with my pants down and having to order a rack and then having snakes that are all too big for their, for their tubs or whatever at that point and then having to wait six to eight months for a rack to show up. So look at sea serpents. I use only sea serpents. Uh, Chris is amazing. You can talk to him. You can tell him what you want. Uh, he ships within a week uh, of ordering it. I just got another V70 stack. I, I have one of my V70 stacks, or the one I just got, and it's empty. I don't have anything going in it, but I know that eventually I need that. I'm going to need uh, it, yeah. Yeah, so – <clears throat> I plan on having that a certain you know, got a little extra Christmas money, you know, work did good. So I was like, hey, might as well order this now, get the thermostat on it, get it up to temp. And that way when, you know, maybe this, I think one of my black pines, I think is ready to go in there. Uh, yeah, all my, all my beards that are, they were all the same size except for that pair of adults. And they're all, I'm slowly starting to get them all moved over to like 34ers from the 15s just because it's, mm -hmm. it's now starting to get a little tight. And I think they appreciate having more space to kind of spread out and yeah. do their thing. Yeah. But check out Sea Service Man, the tightness of his racks, the, the quality of the construction, the speed that he gets them to you. It's, you can't beat it. I, I mean, not to, not to plug someone and, and say that, you know, but. It's, no, I've looked at his stuff and I've heard a lot of really good things about him. I just I, I went on Animal Plastics and the price is right on on one of the racks they have, one of the economy racks. And I little did I know that I I probably won't see it until I don't know. I'm thinking maybe March. I think that's kind of a stretch. I ordered it in November. Yeah. So, so that's a oof. That's a, yeah. And I don't, that's I don't I don't understand how you can operate and stay in business like that because you only piss off people. Like if you're making that much money, how do you not have the money to throw into more employees to help expedite things? Like, I just, I don't like, yeah, get another CNC router, get a, get another person. And, and, and they are very popular. I mean, the animal classes is one of the biggest names in racks, uh, but their lead times are killing them. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And this yeah. was one of the quick ship items. So I was thinking like, oh, quick ship, like, cool. I'll have it in like three weeks or whatever. And apparently, according to Riley, like, no, quick ship means you'll get it like a month this sooner. Year. You'll get it in five months rather than eight months. 
that means you're getting it in 2020, not 2020. Like, Jesus. So, yeah. That, I have what, time. I, I what are you doing it. for an incubator? Uh, I have a, a, a wine cooler that I, I built somewhere back there. I need to plug nice. it in and get it going again. But I, I am, I'm building one out of an ice chest. Uh, I saw some people online do it. Uh, where you where you use that the heat tape on three sides of it, and you put mm -hmm. the thermostat in there, and you drill one hole, but then you fill it in with a uh, foam. Yeah, the, that, I got a couple cans of that because I use it for uh, for the dark frogs. Yeah, that's dark frog tanks. It's so great. And then some people put water in the bottom. Uh, some people just put water bottles, and all that is is to get something that holds temperature. You know, it's right. almost the heat know, sink. The heat sink, and then and then put some egg crate on it, and then just. I'm gonna use my same boxes with Paralite like I use for my geckos. And, I mean, they're I'm actually, eggs, I'm, it's not. With the colubrid eggs, I'm actually wanting to use uh, APS. Oh, okay. I really want to try that out with snake eggs because I mean, it, it was so great for crested eggs and stuff. Um, I just I love the fact that you can tell when it's dry, you can tell when it's wet. Yeah, I've never tried that stuff. I'm really I'm really anxious to try it with with colubrid eggs and maybe eventually chondro eggs if I'm brave enough. Yeah, man, that's one of those, you know, the chondro eggs are so uh, delicate. It seems like you kind of want to use the, 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 the combo wombo that everybody's been using, right? Mm -hmm. like, that's kind of, let's, this is tried and true. This works. Let's it's, do it. It's hard to deviate, you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I have to hop off here, man. Yeah, me too, man. It's, I got to get up at like four. So, Oh shit. Well have fun with that. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Have a good I gotta, one. Be, to work, uh, I gotta be to work at ten, so <laughs> nice. Shoot me your uh sh send me a message with your address. Yeah. And I'll, yeah, I'll I get those cigars uh sent out tomorrow. Okay. Cool. Cool man. Nice chatting, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one, boss. We'll do it again. We'll see you later. Hell yeah, later.